windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Bucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Yeah, we're throwing you off again. Good Thursday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Another exciting show. We're going to talk basketball in the first segment, men's and women's preseason polls, preseason all-conference teams, our thoughts on that. Then we'll have a special interview second segment, third segment, top 25, and bowl predictions, our fourth segment. Then we'll take Friday off. I miss Thursday shows. Remember Thursday shows last year? They were uh, we, we crazy, coach. Crazy, co- crazy coach. Crazy coach was on Thursday. We had the head coach of the opponent. For ETSU football. Four downs. Four downs. Yeah. Four downs. First, second, third, fourth down. Four, four downs. Uh, you know what? Just, One, two, that's three. fantastic. That's yeah. great. Uh, and then opening segment was whatever. I absolutely love Thursday shows, and this is the first that we're doing this year, and it may be the last, quite honestly. <laughs> Depending on how it goes. That's especially. right. You now, if my bold predictions hit on this Thursday segment, then you're gonna I'm going to tell Thursdays? you that okay. we're doing Thursday shows. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday shows. Well, now. we can always record on Thursday and nobody will know. Uh, yeah, that's true. I think they probably still know somehow. They're smarter than we are, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. smarter than you normally. Right? That's true. All right, let's look at, uh, what do you want to start? Men's and women's, men's and women's. Go, go. What do you let's got? What do you go got? With what the... got you more fired up? Well, the women's got me more fired up. All right, up. let's go there. Women. In let's the start. bad sense, right? Because getting fired up about ETSU men's basketball being at the top of both well, polls on the well, coaches Or maybe, and maybe you thought somebody got sh- uh, but, the schneid. But when we talk about getting fired up, I like to get fired up and rip people. And in this case, okay. I'm going to rip both the coaches and the media mm-hmm. on the women's side because mm-hmm. how in the world Mercer. do you put ETSU fourth? Now, I think ETSU being third or fourth right around there was probably right, but Mercer, 34 consecutive regular season conference wins. Voted so, third so by the coaches. Here, here, what? Here's what I love is you had on uh, the coaches Furman, Wofford, Mercer, ETSU, UNCG, and Chattanooga six. You go to the media poll mercer Furman, chattanooga third etsu wofford uncg so the only thing everyone will agree upon is that sanford and west carolina may not be very good this year other than that you it's it was like the men's poll a few years ago where you saw somebody like from second to sixth. yeah Uh, it's a little uh and i would like to think that coaches clearly have better insight i think unless they're just strategically thinking of voting people certain ways which some coaches do do that way but you would like to think that they had a little bit better clue and i'm i think they out themselves i think shocked. they out themselves I, Furman, listen Furman had a nice run last year they got and championship got the game back. they got talent back uh tabor is certainly uh, a force inside and uh, uh davidson's a nice little guard but that being said i was shocked you still didn't give a little bit more love to mercer me personally I know that they don't have the Kiki Callaway. You know, they don't have the star guard that they've had in the past. They lost Amanda Thompson, who was 
one of the weirdest players I've ever watched, but that's a compliment. Like, you didn't know how she got it done the way she did. Like, averaged it well into a double-double for a lot of the year, and she didn't specifically look like she was extremely athletic, didn't look like she was necessarily a top-end scorer or rebounder, but did both really well. So, yeah, those players are gone, but when you've won 34 in a row in the regular season, to be voted third. Now, I'll say this. The rest of the coaches poll I liked. I would just slide Mercer up to number one. I'd put Furman and Wofford, then two and three. In fact, I think that was my exact poll in the media poll was Mercer number one, then Furman, Wofford, ETSU. I think I had Chattanooga above UNCG, but then Sanford and Western were pretty clearly number seven and eight. You look at the media poll. I just don't know well, after and, and Mercer what I will say this happened. in fairness. Wofford and Mercer in the coaches points-wise was 39 to 38. Right. So they were right there. And then UNCG Chattanooga were 23 to 21, so it was right there. But, I mean, there were eight media members I thought Mercer would be the top team. There was only one in the coaches. Only one. And I get I get Furman's love. I, I, I guess I, if Mercer would have been a tight two, like Furman barely outlasted him, I still don't know how you don't put Mercer one. But I, I get Furman maybe. The Wofford over Mercer was shocking to me. They have a lot of talent back, and Chloe Wanick is a great scorer. She's the preseason player of the year. Yeah, I, I don't even want to mention her name. Hey, <laughs> Green, right? Deja Green is oh, a really goodness. good distributor. I mean, she's oh. really solid. So they've got two really great Was that guards. the morning game at Wofford? Uh, I think I threw something in the studio here. I think I was working in the studio that game. That was where we fell behind by, like, 18, came back, Air Canes, Overton from the right wing, a three-to-tie oh, buzzer. Yeah, it was right. Valentine's Day. Broke my heart. Oh. Broke my heart. It did. I remember, yeah, yeah. I did, I did throw something in the studio. Wofford has really good guards, and they're going to put up a lot of points. Do they do it on both ends? And this was, you heard our conversation with uh, Brittany Azell from Media Day on Tuesday. She was, once again, and I am with her, uh, beside herself, that Eric Haynes Overton was not the preseason player of the year because what do you want? Chloe Wanick on one end, one end, who you and me both watched at the tournament. You were sitting right behind me while I was doing that broadcast. She is a devastating mid-range shooter. I mean, she's a throwback basketball player, and she's really good in the offensive end. But Erica Haynes-Overton is maximum effort all the time, both ends of the court. She, It's like James Harden is Chloe Wanick, but then you got Kawhi Leonard with Erica Haynes-Overton. That would be my comparison to put it in NBA terms. And who is the more valuable player? Who wins? You know, Erica Haynes-Overton is always going to be everything she has all the time and you're never going to be disappointed in watching her. Now, Chloe Wanick, you can say that on half that side of the court, the 94 feet, 47 feet of them, she's probably going to be that way. And she's, again, a great player. It's not taking anything away from her, but I just don't understand how Eric Haynes-Overton was not one of the last two years preseason player of the year. So I really do think Wofford has a chance to be really good. I do not think that they should be above Mercer. I do not think Furman should be above Mercer. Chattanooga being voted third by the media with a first-place vote. I mean, that's just outlandish. It tells me that whatever media member was voting either was just doing so out of complete bias or has no idea about women's basketball in the Southern Conference. Um, so I'm more upset with the media poll, but perhaps the biggest gap for me is Mercer third in the coach's poll. Yeah, that that baffling. Now, I'll say that. Again, I wouldn't have been – if Furman would have been a tight number one, but third. I, I just – that was my really only complaint. And it honestly, the – all conference teams for the women. Did you have? I didn't really have. There wasn't a player. I was trying to rack my brain. Mike Sheets, I think, is unfortunate. She's not on that all conference. Yeah, team. I, you know, she, especially the way she finished. The who year. do you take off? Right, you got to. If you put somebody on, you got to take somebody off. Who 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 would you take off? Because that's the ultimate. Because that that was my problem. When and, and we'll get to the men's in a second. I, I didn't really have. 
I try to rack my brain, and of course, you you call and see more. Now I'm back in the studio for that, just like sort of the men's game. You know, you don't right. always get to see all of it, right. so so I'll defer to you Probably there. But Tasia Twitty from UNCG or Ebony Williams from Chattanooga. Now Williams had a really good first year in the uh, conference, <sighs> but she was inconsistent where Micah Sheets in the conference season, aside from a game here and there, I mean, she set her career high or matched it five different times in the conference season alone. Well, and, and I'll agree. I, I'm very appalled by the no uh, EHO on the, the player of the year. Transition into the men's, I don't think there's any shock that the top four teams were who they were mm-hmm. and who was picked number one. Yeah, I mean, you've got to put ETSU at the top, right? And it is very interesting to see from the women's poll to the men's poll, you have all this variance between the coaches and the media and the women's side, and then it's 100%. Yeah, exactly it wasn't a one, same. right? Yeah, One through ten on the men's side between the coaches and media. And, and it was two years ago, I think the the men's poll looked like the women's poll. There were people getting first-place votes that were like sixth or seventh in the coaches' poll. Like, it was very crazy how that all worked out. And it ended up being a topsy-turvy league that year so maybe maybe it played out uh, the way it should have with everyone not knowing where everyone was going to finish but I mean it's hard to get everybody on board with who is one through ten but everybody at least thought the same I don't want to say they nailed it because nobody knows you tip it up and play right, right? but ev- everyone nailed it again I, looking at the all-conference and ETSU got three Bo Hodges, Jeremy Rodriguez David, and, 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 see? I was a little surprised uh, I agree. people have been paying attention because I think you can be all-conference guy I just didn't think that the widespread thought that he would be was out there. But apparently people know, like we do, that this kid's a special talent. Well, and, you know, normally that that, that spot, uh, you know, there would be a spot reserved for Bubba Parham if he yeah. had been back no and doubt. he went to Georgia Tech. So that freed up a spot, I think, for maybe, and I don't know who slid into that role, whether it was Davian Williamson or Ross Cummings, but one of those two guys, probably the recipient of Bubba Parham, not being back in the league and going. But the men's, again, I, I kind of racked my brain to see if there was somebody. Um, you know, I, I get to put 10 people's name on a list and, you know, actually probably a little bit of homer. I put four ETSU guys, and I didn't have Ross Cummings. I was interested to see – well, you nailed everything else? I did. All the, other guys, all the other guys were there. I mean, I think Carlos Dotson is the best – uh, him and Rodriguez are the best two big guys, traditional big guys in the league. Sure, Josh Sharkey might be my favorite opposing player just because he plays so hard. It's hard not to put Hoover on there because he's going to get a lot of shots. Um, and he's going, you know, especially with losing Fletcher McGee. I, I don't know. How, uh, uh, Cam Jordan, uh, not uh, Cam Jordan. That's not. <laughs> I can't forget the good football player. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Um, Jackson. Thank you, Jackson. Then uh, you're looking at uh, uh, Dickey and Miller are no-brainers, right? And I think if Hodges would have been healthy all year, last year he might have been the preseason player of the year, but I get why Isaiah Miller, because I think between Miller and Hodges, those are the two best on both ends of the floor. Defensively, guards a little bit. Now, again, Miller can't guard a four-man like Bo Hodges can, but he creates so much havoc at the top of – that uh, press, that uh, the one-two-two press that UNCG likes to run, slows people down. He's so athletic, huge vertical leap. He just creates a lot of havoc. Uh, when he get into a man-to-man situation, he can pressure the ball a lot. So I get, you know, defensively, you know, Dickey's a shot blocker, and so that's always going to get on there. But guarding you, Sharkey, Hodges, Miller, three of the best. But I didn't have any, any issue. This was one of the few times I looked up and down everything. 
and really didn't have a complaint. Um, I would, I, I, I think Hodges would have been the preseason player of the year if he would have been healthy and played all year like he did the end of the year. A couple things. When I was talking with head coach Steve Forbes at media day and we were going through the all-conference team, you know, I kind of glossed right over the player of the year. I was getting to it a little bit later, but I just kind of named it off. You know, it was day of just to give him and, you know, everybody listening an idea of what it looked like. And I started just at the top of the all-conference team. So I was like, oh, yeah, headlined by Bo Hodges, Jordan Rodriguez, Davian Williamson. All the while, he's pointing at my paper at the preseason player of the year, Isaiah Miller. He really thinks that he's a good player, and I think you wouldn't oh, find it. any coaches in the conference that would disagree. He's the lone member returning to the conference from the first team from last year. So for me, that's pretty simple math. I agree. And and if you watch him play at all, it, it's hard to argue because he did all I, I think what hurt Bo Hodges was it took the second half of the conference season for him to get fully healthy. Right. And then he played lights. I mean, the the job he did on Bubba Parham last year was epic. I mean, Bubba Parham didn't have a field goal made versus Bo Hodges. His only points from the free throw line, like three points or whatever it was. I mean, it was incredible the day that um, uh, Bo Hodges, in the very next game, he's guarding a four-man. Like, he's on the he's on the post guarding a, a, you know, a post player. And so you can go from guarding a point guard shooter to a post player. To me, it shows you what, what kind of player really Bo Hodges is. Miller's just different, but Miller does a lot because he can distribute the ball. He can score the ball. He had the game winner against ETSU um, at their place. He does a lot defensively. So I, I get why Miller is there. I, I don't, I, I don't want to say it was a no-brainer, but it was about as close It was about as close to probably a no-brainer as you can get. I agree. Then you look at the second team from last year. Lou Stoller signed a professional contract to play in Ukraine uh, in April, so he's not with the Citadel anymore. Then you've got the returners, Rodriguez coming, Sharkey. Like you said, Parham's gone. Now here's where – Coach Forbes, and this is my other point, had a little bit of a qualm perhaps, but this is kind of the issue with ETSU, and it's a good issue to have. You've got six returners that really could be all-conference. I mean, your top six guys are back in terms of scoring and in terms of assists, all of them 60-plus assists last year, and I think it was eight-plus points. Uh, You've got Boyd, you've got Rodriguez, you've got Good, you've got Tisdale, uh, you've got uh, Hodges, and I'm forgetting one, can't remember who it is, Davian. So you've got those six. Any of those six could be all-conference. Patrick Good was an all-league player last year on the third team, and he was left off this year. If you Again, you look at pretty simple math and say, okay, you've got the four from the first team gone. Then you've got two from the second team gone. Look at your third team. Bo Hodges is on it. Jordan Lyons easily transferred out, I believe, from Chattanooga. Is that right, Kevin Easley? Uh, yes, he did. He's at TCU. So easily has gone, and then Carlos Dotson. And so you've got Dotson back. So a couple of third-team guys where you look at Dotson on the team, Patrick Good not on the team. There were some spots open there. And, and the other thing is you, nobody's putting four, five, four or five. Four. So that's right? the problem I mean, is just, that you could have five or six, but no one's going to put more than three. Yeah, and to get three is almost – uh, I won't say impossible, but it's pretty close to impossible to get three guys on it. Uh, as, you know, and I do like that they did that. The preseason has just grown to okay. Let's just get ten guys. Like let's stop trying to get a first, second team, third. Like I do like that they've made that change a few years ago because they used to still do the here's the first team, here's second team. It's like, all right, let's just you know let's just go ten guys, ten put guys. them on there, let's go. I think it makes sense. But ten guys, a first and a second team basically combined into one. So ten guys. There's a spot there for Patrick Good, but like you said, getting three for ETSU, it really could have been Patrick Good. Isaiah Tisdale, you know, Trey Boyd, all could have been on it as well. I, I feel like we're, we're set up perfectly for a mystery guest. I don't know who you got lined up coming up next. Um, 
Who cares? Uh, you, you got an interview next with somebody, that's and then you. I'm going to come back after taking a coffee Not break because that's what I do. Yeah. I'm going to come back in time to cut up the top 25 as I normally do, and then I've got my bold predictions. I've already teased that. I've Look got it. You. I'm on it. I'm going to win all three. Impressive. I'm going to get the bonus 10 points, and you're never going to recover. All right, Santa Sidekick after this on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now... We've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Cake, beer, cake, beer. Quality, quality. Soon to be Continental MVP. Cake. Cake. A slice of cake. Cake. Beer. Beer. Um, yeah. We are live and on location. Okay, it's Thursday and we're taping this on a Wednesday, so live is maybe a bit of an overstatement. But of course, this is the time when we talk to Austin Herrick every week, the offensive quality control coach for ETSU football. One of now, I ran into Kobe Kelly, and, and he was bitter that he was doing some grunt work late on a Tuesday night, uh, but I imagine you got in his ear, Austin, and said, well, if you want quality and control, you got to put in those extra hours. No doubt. That's the name of the game is the extra hours and getting up early and, and staying late. That's that's part of the gig. And he has not made any more workouts, I'm assuming. No, he hasn't. Uh, ever since he missed that, that one, he's been uh, – He's been absent, so we'll have to get on to Kobe for that. Seems like the grind is starting to get to Kobe Kelly. Not so, though, for Austin Herrick, of course, former ETSU quarterback. The statue nearly complete. I was saw I saw it chiseled out of rock, stone, and granite the other day. They're starting. They're working on the face details. They don't quite have that right. You look more like right. John Belushi than Austin Herrick right now. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a compliment. I, I don't know where the <laughs> statue is. Maybe you're just having some elaborate dreams. But um, I don't think you go to the third floor enough. You're trapped in the second floor and out at the field. You're, you're not I, getting out of your comfort zone enough, Austin. Right. Um, you know, since I got back from Europe, I've kind of tried to stay within <laughs> myself here. So I'll have to make it up to the third floor, see what they've been doing. Yeah, you let me know your thoughts on the John Belushi lookalike that is supposed to be Austin Herrick. Okay. I've got to get a couple people's ear to make sure that it looks like you. There will be no mistaking you for a subpar comedy actor on ABC. Yeah, I think uh, I think that could be an issue, but we'll, we'll we'll work it out. I'm sure. Okay, I went back on Twitter this week, and I was sitting there, and I was like, okay, yeah, we're gonna talk about the game a little bit. We're gonna look at Wofford and talk about maybe Chattanooga as well, and all of this is gonna be uh, great. You know, we're gonna have our usual conversation, but there's got to be some fun with Austin Herrick. That's what this segment's for. People want to hear your takes on football. They also want to hear how much people love you on Twitter. Now, this is more of a, and I'm bringing this up because this is one of your very good friends, Corey Colder. Right. Who I think was your roommate for... No, it wasn't a roommate, oh, okay. but, but definitely a good friend. One yeah. of your very good buddies. Now, you go back on the Twitter, and you go back through the timelines, and you dig really far back, and people have been tweeting about Austin Herring since, like, 2003. I don't even know if Twitter was a thing at that point, but you've got some very interesting comments. Now, Corey Colders was, and, and this is where I want to go with this this week, quote, Austin Herrick loves a good debate. Didn't tag you, didn't even allude to your account at all just austin herrick loves a good debate i'm wondering if on september 5th of 2015 now that was i believe how many days after the first game oh i mean was it the first game first i game? think it was september 3rd 
So you got uh, two days after, and Corey yeah. Calder's like, I know this guy already, and he loves him a good debate. Right. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, my parents consider me the master debater. Ooh. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I do like to debate. I, people tend to think that I'm I'm pretty close-minded with my points and stuff because I, they say I don't change my mind enough. But mm. I, I really feel like I'm pretty fair. Um, when I have a, a good point, I feel, I, I tend to stick by it. But As someone that is very self-involved would, yes. When I... <laughs> When I decide to debate, it's usually something I feel strongly about. Okay. Now, I used to debate, you know, anything under the sun, but now I pretty much stick to the things that, that I feel that are true. Well, that is very level-headed of you. I tend to go after any and every debate. I haven't learned the lessons that you have yet. I probably should have at this point, but this was a perfect tweet, I thought, to launch us into some debates. Let's do it. Now, you are very passionate about quarterbacking, correct? Correct. Very good quarterback yourself. You, you like the science behind quarterbacking. You work for a quarterback coach. You had one of the best quarterback coaches uh, in the country, at least your senior year. Uh, and his resume says that. And head coach Randy Sanders just got done talking with him at the ETS Radio Coaches Show. But you've had a long line of experience. You were labeled a dual-threat quarterback, so you know what that's like. You've also been labeled a pocket quarterback, so you know what that's like. This is a perfect subject for you i think and i'm just going to launch opinions at you and then we have to debate now i also don't like to change my mind the only reason i said you're in self-involved and like to stick to your opinions is because that's exactly what i do and probably to a fault so it, <laughs> it does take one to know one, i guess baker mayfield the worst starting quarterback in the nfl that's aggressive uh i'm not a big baker mayfield fan i wouldn't say he's the worst um but certainly not coming out hot i thought last year he he got a little unnecessary hype there because they they played okay. They played better than they had, but still not great football. And, uh, yeah, I think Baker is a below-average starting quarterback in the NFL um, and pretty firm on that opinion. I say worst. Eight interceptions is the most in the league. Only Josh Rosen has a worst completion percentage. Josh Rosen, who has been playing, I think, at most half the snaps there in Miami. He's got the fourth worst QBR in the league. Cam Newton, Luke Falk, and Eli Manning are the others. And he's third from bottom in quarterback rating, only Falk and Rosen worse. Okay, so you're telling me that if you're starting a franchise, you would pick Luke Falk over Baker Mayfield right well, now, now, if you had to pick. Now, technically, the Jets thrust him into that because of Sam Darnold's motto. But, but at, at this moment, you're saying that I should include Luke Falk in this. Well, you said the worst starting quarterback. Well, technically, Luke Falk was like a third string coming into the year. But but he did start. He's been the starter he is a up starter until at this moment. now this week. I take Luke Falk. I remember the days of Washington State. Well, he had Mike Lee, so you, you can, again, you can keep Luke Falk. I would take Baker in that situation. All right, we'll split the point there. Uh, a graphic from the NFL asked earlier this week, who will be the last one in the league of starting quarterbacks to throw an interception this year? Kyle Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Marcus Mariota. None of them have thrown interceptions. I say Mariota because he made it through the Bills' pass defense, which has been the best in the league over the last two years. Ultimately, he's got a great safety outlet in Delaney Walker, who's the best possession tight end, in my opinion, in the league when he's healthy, and he's got a tremendous running game led by Derrick Henry. Um, okay, I'm a, I'm a Titans fan, and I would say that Mar you can expect a pick from Mariota really soon. Uh, he's he's bound to let you down. That's just kind of how that goes. He sounded awful negative to me as a fan. Yeah, uh, really frustrated with that position uh, for the Titans. But uh, I would say that Russell Wilson will be the first to throw a pick and the last Interception. It can't be Mahomes, can it? I mean, he does too many insane things. Well, that's Russell Wilson, too. He kind of lives on the edge there. I'm going to go with Kyle Allen. Wow. And here's why. He's very cautious, I feel, with the ball. 
He's a smart guy. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the wild card pick, so I'll go with uh, Kyle Allen. Counterpoint, Kyle Allen is the worst starting quarterback in the league. That's fair. I would much rather have Baker than Kyle. But I, I was hoping you'd throw me under the bus for saying that, but okay. <laughs> right after I, I said I, Baker's the worst. I kept you up from the bus right there. You didn't get hit. <laughs> you saved me from the bus, yep. which is weird because we're debating. I thought that was the idea. Was yeah. to throw the other person under the bus. We can, we can do that. Let okay. we got one more. Uh, counterpoint, Kyle Allen is the current MVP of the NFL. He lost back to – or excuse me, Carolina lost back-to-back games at home with Cam at quarterback, the Rams in the box. Allen's won all three since taking over his starter, fourth in the league behind Wilson, Watson, and Mahomes in QB rating. No picks, completing 67% of his passes. McCaffrey has been there all along, so he's not the MVP because he's not making the difference. It's Kyle Allen. See, this is uh, it's pretty wild. I mean, you're going from one side of the fence to the other. You went, That's a debate. Yeah, you went uh, worst starting quarterback in the NFL to, oh, he's the MVP. So that's pretty tough. I'm not sure that I've ever seen that, the worst starting quarterback. I have unconventional tactics. Yeah, certainly uh, interesting. But, yeah, I, I would say he's not the MVP. He's played well, kind of like Gardner Minshew. He's been able to take advantage of a quarterback getting injured and him coming in and playing well. Um but, yeah, we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. Uh, who does he have coming up, does it say? Uh, no, I didn't even look. Yeah. Because he's already the MVP, so it doesn't matter. Well, yeah, that, I mean, after what, week five, six? You know, he's, People we'll, do midway MVPs. This would be like third of the way MVP. Yeah. I, I, I mean, if, if you want to do that, go ahead. But, <laughs> but I'm not willing to crown him MVP just yet. Who's your MVP? Mahomes. I mean, how can you, how can you pass on that guy? I mean, You're he's boring. boring. He's the, he's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. I think you're lame. <laughs> I appreciate that. <sighs> Let's change the topic, shall we? <laughs> uh, I don't know who won those debates. Okay, I did not see this Wofford game coming. Uh, I, it really was out of left field for me. You and me talked about last week how pretty much every game the rest of the way, except maybe Vanderbilt, and you and me kind of agreed that it'll be a blowout for the Bucs, right? right? That was the only reason that wasn't going to be a one-score game. But every other game the rest of the way, we said, one score, one score, one score. Could kind of go either way, depending on what team shows up, if the team continues to grow, et cetera, et cetera. And we're sitting there down 28-3 to three at the half, and I felt like I got smacked in the face. I can't imagine what the players felt like, coaches felt like, yourself. It just was out of left field, out of nowhere, and I still am trying to completely comprehend how it happened. And just talked with Coach Sanders for like an hour, right? And we kind of hashed it out a little bit. Had more fun than anything because, you know, who needs to talk about football on the bye? Right. But uh, – it was really strange, and I know Joe Newman is making great decisions, and I know he's an excellent quarterback and specifically runner and really a master of the option. He's a senior, experienced. He's been there, so I understand that, but the defense had just faced Furman, an option team. Maybe schemes are just that much different. Maybe Wofford just does it that much more. I don't know. I, I was a little bit at a loss. Obviously, reasoned my way through it on Santos and the sidekick on Tuesday and tonight with Coach, but what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think we all were a little surprised. I think Wofford's a, a great opponent. They beat us every year since we've had football that we played them. So um, we knew that we were going to play a team that was going to come out and give us a run for our money. But it started out exactly how Wofford wants to play, them having the ball for quite a while and us not having the ball hardly at all. You know, If you go three and out against those guys, it's really, really tough. We ran 49 total offensive plays throughout the whole game, which is by far the least we've ran. And so it's really tough uh, to score when you have a lot less chances. Um, and that's that was kind of the story of the day. We couldn't get off the field defensively, and we couldn't stay on the field offensively. So, Do you think the defense was just gassed in that first half? I mean, when 
you get down to the 17. You have the big kick return from Holmes. Then you have the big run from him. But then you sputter, and it turns out that, like, what is in real time? I imagine only six or seven minutes. The defense has to get back out there again. They already looked like they may be a bit tired from just facing that big physical line that had five returners from last year. And that, to me, is what I thought happened. But then I also thoughts creep in. And you, you and me, again, have talked about this before. When one unit is doing so much better, the unit that is doing so much better, if the other unit isn't doing as well, some thoughts kind of creep in of just like, ugh, I can't stand watching these guys not help us. You know, it's just human nature. It's not to say these are bad guys, and if it is happening, it's, it's human nature. I've had that as an athlete. I'm sure you have too. Right, yeah. You know, the, the defense played so well against Furman. One of the best games I've seen out of that, that unit there. But, um, yeah, I, I think that probably early they had such long drives, and then, you know, we had a three and out, and, they had to get right back on the field. That's got to be taxing. Um, Both mentally and physically, maybe. Right. And, th- and then you know what type of ball game you're getting into. You know, Wofford's not a finesse team at all. They're going to hit you in your mouth every single play. And it takes uh, a certain type of toughness to get back up and continue to do that play after play after play. And then not getting much rest uh, makes it that much more difficult. So, yeah, playing – Teams like Wofford and Citadel and Furman with kind of unconventional offenses um, do present challenges, and I think we prepared for that. We were ready to go. It's just one of those things, you know, it it doesn't matter. It it matters how you prepare, but the thing that matters most is who comes out there on game day and plays. You know, you you got to win the game. Um, And we didn't do that. We hadn't done that the past few weeks. So um, I think it's good to have this bye to kind of catch our breath and, sort things out and get back to playing the way we know we can play. Do you think if you score a touchdown there and it's 14-7 to rather than 14-3, to then at least the mental load on the defense and the offense is a bit lighter and the game changes a lot? Or, or am I putting way too much stock into 3-7 there? No, I, I think you're exactly right. You never know how momentum's going to play, but it always helps to you know, close the gap and, and to put – you know, seven on the board as opposed to three. You know, I, Coach last year would always say, I, I hope J.J. doesn't make another field goal because he wants to score touchdowns. Right. So, um, yeah, it's always better to get seven than three. And um, I, I do think that could have changed the game, maybe psychologically as well. Um, but, but we didn't get it done, and, you know, we'll, we'll live to keep on fighting these next few weeks. What are your memories of bye weeks as a player? Uh, bye weeks were great. Uh, <laughs> It, it was a time to kind of catch your breath. It was a time to go home and relax and sleep in and kind of get out of the mon- monotonous routine. And, you know, I, I think one year me and my roommates went to a Tennessee-Georgia game. That was cool. Um, and then, you know, I think one year I actually stayed up here and just hung out with my friends. And so um, I, I think the bye weeks can be huge just as a mental uh, break because there's – you know, not with practice and all that, but just that weekend coming up where you don't have to play. You can sit back and watch college game day and just kind of forget about uh, what you have going on and relax because you're so focused, so in tune with everything going on that those breaks are just crucial and you have to take advantage of them. You've been on winning teams. You've been on losing teams. Not to say which one this will be. Don't know. Right now it is a team that is behind the eight ball in terms of becoming a winning team. How did winning teams spend the bye? Was that different? Was it just subjective? Was it from guy to guy, something that varied? 
again, I always feel like I'm putting too much into all this because, like you said, yeah, you go home, sleep, come back, and boom, that's it. You get out of the mental grind, you come back, that's it. But I think we always look for ways and reasons, especially as media members, to be like, this is how you do it. Is there a science to how a bye week works for a winning team? Right. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I've only been a part of one real winning team <laughs> in college, so I can just think on that one. You but, have a championship. Right. Uh, but <laughs> that was just one season, and it was a three-way tie, so let's not put too much stock in it. <laughs> how? Okay, how did you spend the bye week that year? Yeah, that's what I was going to get into is that the first three years we prepared for another opponent during the bye week. So that week we were – you know, preparing for the next opponent. So it would be like us preparing for Chattanooga this week. Right. Um, the past two years, what we've done is just kind of go back to what we did in camp, which is focus on fundamentals, get the young guys some reps, um, and really just kind of take a break from game planning and worry about, okay, how are we running our base plays? You know, what plays do we want to kind of build upon as the season goes along? So, um, that's what we did last year, and that's what we've done this year. And I think, um, you know, kind of getting out of the, like I said earlier, the routine of game planning and preparing for an opponent, and instead just worrying on yourself, worrying about yourself during that practice, I think is huge. Um, the break, I think the break, as long as you don't completely, you know, just do stuff completely uh, silly and be too much of a college kid, so to speak, then I think you'll be fine. But the way you practice and kind of the intention behind that, I think, is huge. What do you think of this live on location atmosphere of Wyoming? You should see the people, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, they are coming up adoring Austin Herrick, recognized right from when he walked in. Legions of fans crowded around the stage. Uh, you should see the scene because it is quite wild, and I'm hoping that you'd want to do this every week if we could rather than be in the studio. Well, if it's easier on you, I know uh, – it must be tough to be Mike Gallagher walking around because there's people just saying how great he is. I couldn't even get to the stage. There's a line. There's like a mosh pit. I had to, you know, maneuver. That's my because way I through. teased your appearance before you got here. That was the reason. I don't. I mean, they were they were wanting your autograph, and he's got his pen ready to go right now. I do signing, have a pen. That is actually true. That signing is true. an autograph now as we speak. So um, I, I think the crowd is here. Uh, for the sidekick. Well, I think we uh, I think we both did pretty well today uh, with the live crowd and handling the adversity that we are put through every day and being the great people that we are. And by we, I mean you. Yeah, we're, we're just trying to control the quality of well, the, the performance here. So I, I'm trying to control the quality of the Buccaneer Sports Network. You're trying to control the quality and create more quality and control as you go along. And that's what's make, what, what makes great teams. You know that getting better throughout the year involves working hard, growing on your previous work like you did last year. And it seems like you, and with you as a key member of this program this year, it'll be the same. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, as long as I continue to put in the data that needs to be put in, as long as I get this, the scout cards ready uh, for the scout team and get those guys coached up right and continue to build on that, you never know. You never know what can happen. I think the um, the possibilities are endless there. The data to me says five and three in the conference. I, I don't know what the data Guarantee says. Yet. I'm still Guarantee I'm still putting in the data, so we've uh, still got some work to do. But um, I, I do like our chances. I mean, this team, like we've said all along, is a young team and they're going to get better each and every week. Um, and by the end of the year, I, I think we'll be playing really good football. And so, you know, I, I know it's frustrating the way the first half of the season has went, but I, I like our chances on this, this back half. And uh, guys are more experienced now, so they'll start to 
uh, understand how to play in those situations when the game's on the line and, and playing in those close games, which I think we'll have a lot of. All right, I'm going to try and weave you out through the crowd and keep you safe through the throngs and throngs of fans that are trying to just get a little glimpse, a little touch of Austin Herrick. It was good to be with you again. Good to be here. Austin Herrick, offensive quality control coach, ETSU football quarterback, legend around these parts. He'll be back with us next week. More on Santos and the Sidekick when we're back on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. coffee yeah built in baby that's what you get ndsu stats fcs top 25 this week and i'll give you credit off the top north dakota state no issue with illinois state you said you thought the top two teams in the country at the fcs level would be fine but i take credit immediately away when you said the jmu would be the one that would have an easier time with stony brook than ndsu would have they, with illinois they, state. They, they had an easy time i don't know 37 to 3 the win easy for the bison time. jmu they entered the final 14 minutes up 10 give up a comeback capped with a 47 yard field goal by Nick Courtney to force overtime against Stony Brook. But once there, Stony Brook. It was classic, classic JMU looking ahead to this week's Villanova matchup. Go. 45-38, the Dukes win as Juwan Hamilton's three-yard run in the extra session led to victory for James Madison. So some credit that both teams won, but some blame of your take that you seem to think JMU would roll right over Stony Brook as it turns out a tight game. Defend yourself, Sandos. You have none. Jamie rolled. SDSU, in overtime. number three, South Dakota State, actually down at the half at home against Southern Illinois, but a Pierre Strong 64-yard run in the third quarter and a pair of Jackson Janky receiving touchdowns from Jabor Gibbs make the final 28-10. The Salukis couldn't put the full game together, outscored 19-0 in the second half. Weber State, number four, a tough time on the road at Idaho. Really not an easy win to be had against the Vandals this year, though, since they got smacked by Penn State 79-7 in the opener. They almost upset Wyoming, did beat Eastern Washington, and a couple of narrow losses to Northern Colorado and this week Weber State. Tough schedule, some tough losses. This one, 41-35. to You could say Weber State's victory courtesy of their kicker if Trey Tuttle doesn't hit a pair of lengthy field goals, 45 and 52, those lengths. That six-point win doesn't happen. We harp on it a lot, but so important is special teams and the kicking game. Villanova, a similar fate for, for the Wildcats, who are looking to be the first team in the country to get to six wins at the FCS level. They would do it, but it would not be easy. Scoring with less than two minutes to go. D. Will Barley, a one-yard run to break a 28-28 tie. And William and Mary, your upset pick, really high on going nah. again, comes up just short, unable to get the tie and score on their final possession. Montana State, number six, a scary week really for the top ten all around this weekend. And you look up and down the top 25, there are a lot of tight games. Montana State surviving Cal Poly. The Mustangs running it 73 times, and despite being down 21 in the fourth quarter, force overtime. 
But just like Stony Brook's upset bid of JMU couldn't score an OT, Travis Johnson, a nine-yard touchdown, the winning score after the hold of Cal Poly by the Bobcats. Number seven, Kennesaw State, a bye, so no lower division teams needed to get beat up on this week by the Owls. Number eight, Montana, the Grizz, down 17-0, 16 minutes into the game to Idaho State, but they'd score 59 of the final 62 points. 397 in the air for Montana's Dalton Sneed, 59-20 to after, again, at least an early scare that shocked the Grizzlies back to life. Some good football being played where the mountains meet the plains in Montana. Montana State, number six, Montana, number eight. Towson, the Tigers off. Got to lick their wounds following their shutout loss to Florida, who, even without their starting quarterback, still look legit beating Auburn this past week. And that may be a bit of foreshadowing for your bold prediction. I have a little bit of an idea in my mind of where you might be going. UNI number 10, finally a change in the poll. The top nine the same, but UNI breaks up the continuity from one through nine from week to week, moving up three spots from number 13 to number 10. That courtesy of a 21-14 to 14 win for the Panthers, a stout rushing defense that gives up just 55 yards on the ground for Youngstown State. The Penguins drop from the ranks of the undefeated. UNI, in their three wins this year, have allowed a combined 34 points. Their only two losses to Weber State and Iowa State. They allowed 29. That defense, their calling card this year, haven't allowed more than 30. Weber State, of course, number four in the FCS. Iowa State at the time when they played them was number 21 in the FBS. So UNI looking very formidable. There's your well, And the shock, I think, is the fact that both those teams want to run the football and ended up not being able to run the football and threw for almost combined 500 yards, which is not either one of their strengths. So the fact that they were able to squeak out a win, not a shock that game was a defense game. Bo Pelini, former defense coordinator at LSU Les Miles Championship, head coach in Nebraska, now head coach at Sound State. That's his calling card, defense against the run. Able to do that, but a lot of credit to you and I uh, holding on in Youngstown State. Looks to be for real. Furman up, I'd say, a well-deserved three spots after a completely and totally one-sided affair against Sanford. Furman, 9 for 14 on third downs, 647 yards of total offense, 217 on the ground for Devin Wynn. Four of Darren Granger's six completions went for touchdowns. I haven't given you a chance to talk about this game a whole lot this week. Furman, 58, Sanford, 14. Just shocked, and all the frustration Furman had, and I, I don't know if, the win against Citadel and all the overtimes and it just everything went wrong. For I've not watched that game yet. I probably will uh, over the weekend since I'm, I don't have a lot to do this weekend. But I am curious to see what exactly went on in that game for Furman just to to put a drubbing on Sanford. That was shocking. I I think it's shocking Furman won. I think everybody would agree with that. I almost thought about going with Sanford, but uh, as an upset and didn't. And glad I didn't because that would have been. Probably the worst pick in the history of mankind of my bowl predictions. You've had and plenty that, of those. Saying a lot, right? So, uh, very impressive for Furman. They clearly bounced back offensively. Nichols, you mentioned him. I think I would have favored Central Arkansas entering their ranked matchup oh, against no, Nichols. I, I thought Nichols was the, the weakest ranked team maybe in the poll besides Eastern Washington, and I, they shut my mouth pretty quickly. Yeah, the Colonels back above 500, a 34-14 pretty dominating win over the Bears. Chase 4K, just five incompletions all day, 327 yards impressive all the way around I, I just I didn't see that I haven't seen that I didn't expect it and we've been big and, on Central Arkansas yeah, from the beginning of this year that is true yeah. I've been on that train maybe the the goggles were on but I, I think I thoroughly crushed Nichols last week <laughs> and talked about how bad they were and this wasn't going to be close and it wasn't close I was just wrong on which direction North Carolina A&T no mercy by the Aggies for Nor- Norfolk State up two spots, courtesy of a 58-19 to 19 thrashing. Jermaine Martin, 199 and three scores on the ground on just 10 carries. Two of those 65-plus yard gains. Illinois State, 
We mentioned them. Down four spots are the Redbirds for that non-competitive loss to the Bison. Delaware, number 15. We've always got one team that has a bye that skyrockets in the poll. This week, the Blue Hens. North four spots to number 15 in the sixth week of this stats. FCS top 25. Central Arkansas. They supplant Nichols after losing to them by 20. Nichols to number 12. They were 16. Central Arkansas, after entering the week at number 11, now down to 16, essentially just switching spots. Jacksonville State, number 17, up four spots, RJ State, even though they needed a comeback to beat what is now one in five Tennessee State. No, that's the most Jekyll and Hyde team right now, I think, in FCS is Jacksonville State. You really don't know what you're going to get with them. Down six with 20 minutes left. Zarek Cooper threw a go-ahead touchdown to Josh Pearson. 305 and three scores through the air for Cooper. Michael Matthews, a 10-yard run. The icing on the cake of a 31-23 win. Zarek Cooper puts up some huge numbers. Got to see him last year, and he was against DTSU impressive I guess you'd say at times maybe not necessarily super consistent in that game but this year certainly seems like he's improved all the more yeah he makes a lot of questionable decisions last year and I didn't watch all the games last year just a couple games leading up then obviously the ETSU game but he made some very questionable decisions in that game too so seems like he may be straightening that problem out Maine off this past week they're up two spots as well the number 18 Youngstown State you said they're looking good down a spot after keeping it close with Northern Iowa on the road, but you'd have to say that is still a pretty impressive result to go to UNI and have that game go down to the very end. SEMO, Southeast Missouri State needed double overtime to beat Tennessee Tech. Hadar Zayden, a 51-yard field goal with 31 seconds left in regulation to tie the score for Tech. Each team scores in overtime number one, but once overtime two came around, SEMO gets a 13-yard run from Zion Curtis. Not Zion Williamson, call him Zion Curtis. 117 on the ground for him and SEMO wins as Tech could not match in OT number two. Princeton make it 13 in a row for the Tigers. They hold Columbia to just 232 total yards in a 21-10 win. They're now 3-0 this year, up four spots, ascending to number 21 in the poll. NDSU and Villanova, the only other undefeateds in the national poll this week. Stony Brook, number 22, they move up two spots, rewarded for that hard-fought battle against the Dukes of JMU. Sella. That's what I'm calling them, yep. at least. It's not SEMO, it's Sella. You're going with it. Southeastern Louisiana. It's going to catch on, at least on this show. I'm going to have you saying it pretty soon. Despite four combined passing touchdowns from starter Chase on Virgil and get a load of their backup, Cole Kelly, six foot seven, 260 pounds at the quarterback position. He went three for three, two of those completions, touchdowns. McNeese State, though, gets the final score of the game with 221 to go. The winner, Trevor Bogue from Cordy, Cody Orgeron. Orgeron completed just 12 of 29 passes but 248 yards and three scores no interceptions the final completion being the dagger 38 to 34 they pull the upset Sella down six spots this week UC Davis losing again the Aggies but get them pol- out pollsters just get them out. out they won't get them out so they have four losses now still in the poll get them out two and four are UC get Davis out. after a 38 to 36 loss to North Dakota Brady Leach a 46 yard field goal with less than a minute to play to take a one-point deficit, turn it into a two-point lead, and ultimately win. Twelve spots in the wrong direction, UC Davis. From my memory, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's the biggest drop this year of a team that remained in the poll. True. I don't know, checking the receiving votes category, if a team was ranked and maybe dropped out to like 35 or 36, if that would have been a bigger drop. But point being, UC Davis, two and four, still ranked. Get them out. We finally got Eastern Washington out. Get them out. Sam Houston State, number 25, exactly one vote ahead of Sacramento State for the final spot in the stats, FCS Top 25. Two touchdowns within 73 seconds of each other in the fourth quarter. 
uh, getting the win That's over the style Stephen F. Austin. That's the old run and shoot. They they, they chuck it around left and right. Uh, the Sanford VMI type offense. That's ex- so Sam Houston can put up a lot of points quickly. Problem is when they get in the playoffs, they generally don't score and then they're out ousted fairly quickly. Those two touchdowns came right after quarterback Ty Brock threw an interception to give Stephen F. Austin the lead a pick six, but Brock rebounds with a 45-yard touchdown to Nathan Stewart. Then a Donovan Williams 10-yard run to lengthen the gap, and after all was said and done, secure the victory. So a summary. A top nine the same as last week, a plummet from UC Davis, the list of top 25 undefeated teams down to three, and a new team at number 25 in Sam Houston State. Your thoughts? I think uh, other than getting rid of UC Davis, I think this is one of the few polls I have very little issue with. I think, uh, and maybe everything's starting to fill itself out as the weeks go, but I think they rewarded teams for, for even if they lost for a, a game well played and teams that didn't show up got dropped i think appropriately except for you davis need to drop two more spots other than that um eastern washington's out so i'm pretty happy with everything right now this week villanova and james madison that to me is a matchup of all matchups in the fcs number two versus number five it would be interesting to see nova has survived some things that uh i thought and again nova th- this is not unusual territory for them jmu seems to be where early this year they didn't seem beatable Last couple of games, there's maybe some chinks in the armor that would give Nova a good shot. North Dakota State gets no rest. Another number 10 team is who they take on. This time, Northern Iowa. South Dakota State is at Youngstown State. That's number three versus number 19. And keep an eye on Austin P hosting SEMO. That should be a really good matchup. Number 20 versus what is technically number 30. Number five in the receiving vote section of the poll are the governors. One final note. Did you see, if you remember, and I talk about it a lot because this is my former conference at Division Three, University of St. Thomas, who was kicked yes. out of the MIAC. Yep. saw that. They Summit League, right? are now trying to get a waiver from the NCAA to join the Summit League as early as 2021. Now, going from Division Three to Division One, that's why you need a waiver. Usually there's what I believe is a 12-year waiting period to move up from Division Three to Division One because you have to spend some time at Division Two. But considering the circumstance of essentially them getting kicked out of their conference for being too good, and again, this was probably I'd say five, six months ago. It made Sports Center Scott Van Pelt ripped everybody about it in the MIAC about how do you kick out a team for being too good. It made national headlines pretty much everywhere. And now the Summit League looking to add the University of St. Thomas and just need that waiver apparently to make it happen. Well, I think the interesting thing is most teams in the um, they have to play in Missouri Valley football. Most of those at least in the layup now. That's right. They may branch off, uh, and it would be interesting to see if they did. I think that would be good uh, for FCS if they did branch off two conferences. But basically, everyone in the Missouri Valley averages about four four and a half million dollar budget for football, and. I think St. Thomas is only one million, so they're going to step. And I know they've you've said they've got uh, means and money. They do. That's obviously in their backyard and all that. So you, so you know that. So they all they do is make the step up there. And basketball, I think clearly that's a little easier jump again uh, for people with budgets. Uh, and again, you got built in home games or right there. So it would be the second Division One university in minnesota correct, correct. only university minnesota, minnesota yep. that is it that's so it. That, that's that's interesting um because there's not many states like that so you've got north dakota north dakota state south dakota south dakota state and western illinois all have football that's five teams of course to get an automatic bid to an fcs playoff you need six teams as is the case from division one to division three in any sport some other questions have arised uh not only considering would the summit league break off and do their own thing or would football be in the missouri valley for the University of St. Thomas, but also uh, what would happen with, say, hockey. 
they're really good at hockey school and there's only 54 or 55 Division One teams in hockey, would they be in the Big Ten? Would they do something different? So there's a lot to sort out, but a very interesting tidbit, I thought, this week. Uh, I don't know why I'm hitting the because we've got one more segment. We've got to do bold predictions. Can we do how much I hate bold predictions. I'm ready for bold predictions. Can we do bold predictions uh, after this? You're ready for it? Yeah. Okay, fine. I want to hit the close. Bold predictions right after this. San Jose Buckner's Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandoz live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold prediction. This is crazy this way because now I need you to start because I have no bold prediction. You want me to go? I can go over all mine. I'm so ready. I can go over all mine. Number one, I'm going to go Southern Conference. There will be a combined double-digit touchdowns between VMI and Sanford. It is going to be a shootout. There will be 10 or more touchdowns in the game. It will be uh, like a 45-41 contest in regulation, no overtime. They will have 10 or more touchdowns in regulation, Sanford VMI. That's number one. You want me to keep going? I keep uh, going. I'm actually going to go to Sanford VMI as well. Reese Udinsky, 500 passing yards or more. Go ahead. Oh, that's a good one. I think the next one I'm going to go is straight-up winner. I think a two-touchdown underdog night game in Baton Rouge, unheard of for the Tigers to be that heavy favored and lose the game. I'm going straight up winner. The Gators will chomp the Tigers. Wow. I am going to go with the improbable, perhaps some thought the impossible, just as recently as maybe two or three weeks ago. The Miami Dolphins are going to win a game. It's the Redskins this week. Now both teams are winless. You don't think it's bold? Well, I was going to go Josh Rosen three touchdown passes in the win. Over the Redskins. So now you've stole mine. Well, now you've stole mine. That's how things go. All right, that's all right. Well, can't we <laughs> okay. share? Can't we share that? We can't share anything. Yeah. Oh, you know okay. me and you. I mean, all that's right. insane. Okay, fine. You know what? You right. take the Dolphins. Yeah. And your three and touchdowns, touchdowns with Josh Rosen. You got to do both. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the Jets, 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 get off the Schneid and beat the Dallas Cowboys at home. The thought process, I have absolutely no idea. But I'm going to go with that. I think Dallas surprisingly looked really bad against Cowboys Green Bay. Cowboys are reeling. And Green Bay, to me, I've watched, I think, gosh, almost every game that they played this year, and never did they look as good as they did against the Cowboys. And I think a lot of that was Dallas. I don't think a lot of it was so much Green Bay. So, JTS, Jets, 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 first win. Is that your three? Uh, I don't think I made a third. Did you, you make three? I did. Oh, you did? Okay. Because oh, well. you stole your second one was stealing no, no, my no. third I'm, one. So. What was your third one? I'm so confused. Okay, we're going to have to go back and try and figure this out. No, I'm gonna go I, with I've, the... I've got it. You want me to write off mine real quick? I got the 10 touchdowns okay. and being money. My That's second so one, I said Florida over LSU. You oh, jumped right, in with LSU. your second yeah, one, which right. stole my third one, in which right. I complained because I think I'd already told you I was going to go there, 
and you have forgotten it and just heard Dolphins and I'm so smart, you tried to steal my pick. Go. Yeah, that's probably exactly what happened. Uh, the Cleveland Browns will continue their spasticness and beat the Seattle Seahawks at home after looking like absolute garbage on Monday night against San Francisco. By the way, San Francisco, my 49ers. For real. Your 49ers. Who loses first? The Patriots or the 49ers? The 49ers are going to face the Bills in the Super Bowl. Book oh, it. Chris Berman. Chris Berman's calling Steve it. Steve Young versus Jim Kelly. <laughs> uh, there we go. All right. Another great uh, episode. My there. head's spinning. I need to. I suppose I had to try and switch it up this week, right? Do it on the fly because whatever I've been doing has not been working. Well, I, 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 went, I went prepared was bad. I went to unprepared even worse. Now mega Back prepared. to prepared. So super a week like ahead of time prepared. Okay, I'm going to have to uh, go back and listen to these and figure out what you did and what I did. Okay, uh, Monday? Yeah. We're going to uh, do a Monday. show? Oh, yeah, we got a, we got a Monday show, I suppose. Yeah. What are we going to do? Nothing to recap. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll talk. Yeah, we can do a recap first episode of the conference. Good call. Tell me. Yeah. Like it. All right, so uh, big thanks for you guys dealing with us on a two-show week. We'll be back three shows next week as we prepare for ETSU and Chattanooga. There's not a week I love to prepare for than the marks in the bucks. Santa Saki, back there. Force Network. See ya.